This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. I pray that this morning you would again illuminate that word by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our reading from today's gospel is part of the most famous sermon ever preached. A sermon that Jesus preached and which we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, we encounter Jesus contrasting the culture of the world in which we live and eat and breathe and the culture of God's kingdom in which we are also immersed. And Jesus began this sermon in the verses before we picked them up this morning by explaining how blessed those are who follow him. Not in material ways, but in far deeper ways. And some of you will be very familiar with this, but Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. And then after our section this morning, Jesus goes on to give all kinds of really practical teaching. He talks about anger, he talks about adultery, he talks about divorce, and um, he talks about loving your enemies, he talks about giving and working and praying and fasting and all kinds of things. If you've never read it, I really recommend it. It's great. Matthew 5, a couple of chapters, really great sermon. But the piece that we're looking at this morning comes between those two sections. And Jesus begins by telling his followers who they are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And the you here is emphatic and it's plural. And it's important to notice that Jesus is not saying, this is what you should strive to become. If you work hard and try hard and keep all my commandments so that some of you, perhaps an elite few, might just possibly become the salt of the earth. He does not say you should be, you could be, you ought to be. He says, surprisingly, you are. You are the salt of the earth. And so today, I want to invite you to hear these words of Jesus afresh. You who are followers of Jesus Christ are now already the salt of the earth and the light of the world. At Pitt, CMU, in your middle school or high school, at Google, in the hospitals, in your office, at home. But what, is, what does that even mean? Well, among other things, I think it means that we're called to be who we already are rather than striving to be something that we're not. And I want to suggest three ways in which we are the salt of the earth. And first, I think it's possible that we may intuitively have too nice a view of salt. So we use salt to enhance flavor. So salt is added to our cooking or on our fries or whatever. 
But up until recently, the primary function of salt was not to enhance flavor. The most important function of salt was to prevent rotting and decay. If you are the salt of the earth, which Jesus says you as Christians are, the implication is that the world needs salt. And why does the world need salt? Because it's decaying and going rotten. Left to our own devices, the world is not gradually getting better and better. And I think there is so much evidence that supports that statement. All our amazing advances in technology, in medical science, knowledge of the universe, are not leading to less violence, less crime, less poverty, less disease, less war. They're not leading to people demonstrating more compassion, more kindness, more honesty, more beauty and more truth. And so the remedy for our decaying world is not ultimately to be found in the classroom, laboratory, or government policy. It is, says Jesus, to be found in you. You Christians who are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And our influence in society comes from our very saltiness and difference, not from blending in and being the same. And I want us to think about this. I wonder when were you last tempted to blend in and not be salt and light? And when the world goes bad, who do you blame? The government? Some grouping in society, Christian nationalism on the extreme right, or Marxist wokeism on the extreme left? Or perhaps you blame the media, always a good target to have a kick at. Now, some responsibility may appropriately lie with some or all of these groups and institutions. But I wonder, is there something else to which we need to be attentive? In the face of seismic change culturally, rather than focus on whom to blame, a good starting place is always to look in a mirror. Many years ago, in response to the question posed by the Times of London, what is wrong with the world? English writer and philosopher G.K. Chesterton responded, dear sir, I am. If we're to be whom Jesus says we are, the salt of the earth, perhaps we need first to engage in the hard work of repentance for our own wrong attitudes and actions. I wonder, could it be that our own lack of saltiness may contribute to the decay of the world? Could it be that we are part of the problem? When your fridge breaks down and the food goes bad, do you blame the food or the fridge? When the meat goes rotten because there's no salt on it, do you blame the meat or the lack of salt. Part of our very purpose and function as Christians is to prevent decay in the world through who we are and how we act. Salt's main job, at least in the ancient world, was to permeate food in order to preserve it. 
And the Christian's main task, as commissioned by our Lord, is to permeate the world with God's grace and truth and love, to arrest the rot that has set in. And just as salt is no use if it stays in the salt shaker, Christians are of no use if they stay in their holy huddles inside the church, affecting no one. In the Sermon on the Mount, we encountered Jesus speaking blunt words of warning immediately after he's proclaimed that we're the salt of the earth. He goes on to say, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. And the challenge then for us is to ensure that we stay the salt that we are. How easily the salt that is in us, the very presence of God's life-giving spirit, can become squeezed out, choked or covered. Many folks face enormous pressure at work or school not to be too Christian, too salty. And so instead we're tempted to fit in, fly under the radar, and just be private Christians. But that's not who you are in Christ. You're not a private Christian. You're the salt of the earth. Well, let me very briefly touch on two other properties of salt, and then we'll move on to light. And don't worry, it'll, be, it'll speed up. In addition to preventing decay, salt also makes you thirsty. I wonder, how does your life make those around you thirsty for God? So many people that you know are living very parched lives, thirsty for meaning, thirsty for joy, thirsty for authentic relationships with others, and though they may not admit it, with God. Well, a third property of salt is that it adds flavor. I wonder, how does your presence among your friends or colleagues add zest? Are you a person who radiates life and hope and joy and makes others want to know why? Early 20th century US Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> and sadly, Christians um, sometimes do act like undertakers, which is a scandal. Salty Christians are not bland Christians. You are the salt of the earth. Salt that is desperately needed. Well, let's move on to the next piece. Uh, I'm only preaching, I think, is it one verse or is it two? I'm not sure. It's very short. Um, you are the salt of the earth. And then Jesus says, uh, you are the light of the world. German theologian Helmut Thielicke wrote, salt and light have one thing in common. They give and expend themselves and thus are the very opposite of any kind of self-centered religiosity. As salt and light in the world, as Christians, we are to be people who by our very nature, in who we are and in what we do, people who catch the attention of the world and let it be in a good way. That Jesus should call us the light of the world is stunning because of course he said that he was the light of the world. How then are we light? Well, we are light 
only insofar as we reflect his light. As the moon reflects the light of the sun, so we reflect the light of the Son of God. The reality is that for all the progress and everything that surrounds us in our so-called enlightened world, the world remains in so many ways a very dark place. And in the midst of the darkness, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. This season of epiphany that we are currently in is all about making Christ known in the world, shining the light of his truth and love. And whereas, as we've just seen, the primary function of salt is more on the negative side, preventing decay, the primary function of, of light is more positive in that light illuminates the way. For us to shine this light is imperative. It's imperative that we in order to do this, that we stay close to the light source. You know how it is with those um, solar-powered walkway lights. By the way, does anybody have any of those lights that actually work? Because they always just seem to like fizzle out. I don't know whether they work in other parts of the country. I can't, I can't imagine there's more sunshine anywhere else. But anyway, um, <clears throat> but if they don't get charged up, they kind of stop working. And the same is true for us. If the light we have is that which is reflected from Jesus, it is essential that we stay fully charged by him. We will not be able to shine brightly throughout the week if we only plug in for a quick boost on a Sunday morning. We need to be spending time every day in the presence of Jesus allowing his word to illuminate our minds and hearts, allowing his spirit to shine the light of his truth into every part of our lives. Just as salt that has lost its saltiness is useless, so also is a light that is covered up. I wonder, how often as Christians are we more ready to curse the darkness than we are to shine the light of Christ in that darkness? So what exactly is this light that we are? Well, Jesus is straightforward about this. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. These good works, it would seem, cover everything a Christian says and does because he or she is a Christian. And note that these good works are not to draw attention to ourselves about how good we are, but rather there to point to God and how good he is. Theologian and commentator Frederick Bruner writes, the goal is that people will be impressed by the father who makes disciples this way rather than by the disciples who miraculously behave this way so that people will notice not you, but your works, not the lampstand, but the light, end quote. Just as we saw three functions of salt, <clears throat> to prevent decay, to make thirsty, and to give flavor, so light also has three functions. First, light reveals truth as it illuminates, makes plain, shows things for what they are. Second, light shows the way ahead as it guides a path through the darkness. And third, light pushes back the darkness. And each of these properties of light is present in God himself and by his Holy Spirit operates through us. 
I need to say one more thing about salt and light. Being the salt of the earth is not a call to rub salt in someone's wounds. And being the light of the world is not a call to shine the interrogator's spotlight into someone's eyes in self-righteousness, accusatory, or judgmental ways. That is not what Jesus is suggesting. Nothing could be further from whom Jesus calls us to be. Being the salt of the earth and the light of the world means that with God's help, we will, with grace and truth, bring the healing properties of salt into our relationships. It means that we will hold a candle in the darkness to help others find their way. It means we will be people who speak the truth in love. Not one or the other. The truth in love, always in love. And while sadly, the church has a very checkered history and there is much for which we can only be ashamed, it is also true that at its best, the church has been salt and light in so many ways. William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King are just examples of two people who were the salt of the earth and the light of the world, as they, with others, devoted their lives to the abolition of slavery. Catherine and William Booth, the co-founders of the Salvation Army, likewise are shining examples of Christians who were salt and light as they poured out their lives to serve the poor and preach the gospel. Christians have been salt, <clears throat> excuse me, Christians have been salt and light as they have led the way in providing education, healthcare, just labor laws, standing against racism, and standing up for the poor, the weak, and the marginalized. And I thank God for so many of you here this morning who are salt and light in your workplaces, in your homes. Indeed, this is our calling. This is whom we were made to be. And the challenge for every Christian is not to try to become what you should be, but rather be who you already are in Christ. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let us ask God to help us to be whom he's called to be. And to close, I'm going to pray a part of a prayer of Mother Teresa's. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help me to spread your fragrance everywhere I go. Flood my soul with your spirit and life. Penetrate and possess my whole being so utterly that all my life may only be a radiance of yours. Shine through me and be so in me that every soul I come into contact with may feel your presence in my soul. Let them look up and see no longer me, but only you, Lord. Stay with me, and then I shall begin to shine as you shine, so to shine as to be the light to others. The light, O Lord, will be all from you. None of it will be mine. It will be you shining on others through me. Amen.